Greetings, building science enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating, a modern zoned comfort solution for Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Each room can be an oasis with its own temperature control and filtration, and the systems are so quiet, you'll barely even know they're running. All you'll experience is comfort, the way it should be, tailored to you. And you can condition only the rooms you want and save money by turning off the rooms you don't. Forget about that old central system and step up to modern comfort. There's a smartphone thermostat, whisper quiet operation, and over 40% more efficiency than central heating and air. Enjoy the modern comfort of Zoned Comfort Solution from Mitsubishi Electric. Modern comfort reinvented. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Hello, everybody. Hello, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin here, as always, with my producer, Miguel. Hello. And I have a wonderful guest to introduce to you today. I'm here with John Chavez. John Chavez has uh, the illustrious career of having built, grown, and sold a couple of HVAC design build firms in Los Angeles area. He's now a manufacturer's agent, and he and I have spent many uh, pleasant hours geeking out about VRF, and I thought I would share some of that with you guys today. We have a lot of ground to cover, but before we get into the topic at hand, which is how to use VRF, variable refrigerant flow. I want to ask you, John, manufacturer's agent. Can you briefly tell me what that means? Well, first off, I want to thank you for inviting me. I really uh, uh, appreciate uh, you inviting me here to speak today. A manufacturer's agent is a representative of uh, manuf- uh, HVAC manufacturer equipment and components. Uh, we are... Uh, Independent, commission-based. Yeah, that's what I wonder. Company. Are you independent of the manufacturer? Yeah. Or are you not completely though, right? A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, we're uh, uh, manufacturer's agent is on a thirty-day lease. Uh, any manufacturer can uh, decide to change their business model. Interesting. When, and so you support know, the users of a given manufacturer's equipment. To we use promote. It we here. provide uh, market intelligence. We provide technical support or any kind of support mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to wholesale distributors and to plan and spec firms within the HVAC industry. Okay, good. So manufacturer's agent, and so I know you have background in VRF because we've talked about it. So first topic we're going to talk about is putting VRF in perspective and pers- putting in perspective particularly of the U.S. market. Mm. Um, and. You know, we've talked about before on the previous episode, you guys listening, we did a previous episode on understanding VRF, and there was a little bit of background in this, but the, the bottom line is, this is a technology that goes back into the, depending on who you ask, the 70s or the 80s for the, the basis of it, and it's very popular in Asia and Europe, and that's, well, one reason could be because energy prices are higher there. And now it is penetrating into the U.S. market, and it is replacing conventional single-stage and dual-stage equipment. John, any comments on... Yeah, so the mm-hmm. popularity of uh, VRF 
uh, outside of the United States um, was driven mostly just by space. You know, they, the, the concept of addicts really exists mostly here in the U.S. <laughs> um, so when you just require perhaps just a three-inch diameter hole to run your refrigerant tubing, your electrical, and your drain, you know, it kind of opens up a world of conditioning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there. So uh, third world countries, you know, India, you can think about, you know, the um, Caribbean, uh, you know, it's popular. It's it's in upwards of 80 to 90 percent utilization. In Europe, they actually wow. um, called uh, about 15 years ago when, or maybe 20 years ago now, they would call VRF a chiller killers. Because, yeah, for years, uh, large commercial spaces would use chillers, right? But then, mm -hmm. uh, as you stated, the cost of electricity, you know, $15 a gallon for gas and, you know, X amount, you know, mm -hmm. five, ten times the cost of kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so VRF came in with the inverter-driven compressors. Uh, electronic expansion uh, expansion valves and metering devices, which uh, save a lot of um, That's great. money. Yeah, so VRF, you know, the reason that it's so popular in the U.S. market, starting to be more popular, is ironically, it's not the energy play, it's really the form factor play and the fact that we can get better comfort, or we can have a house that and we'll get into this during this episode but we can have a house with one outdoor unit multiple indoor units and they can be off or different set points right mm -hmm. or simultaneously heating and cooling yeah uh, even single within phase. the same refrigerant circuit uh, yeah you can have it is possible to have uh, function and form mm -hmm. and the HVAC industry uh, in the US is catching up to that yeah. idea in 1993 in the state of Texas uh, Mitsubishi launched their uh, ductless systems called the P-Series. They only had two models. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, and there was just two guys running around saying, uh, it was Gunder Associates and a Mitsubishi employee trying to promote, you know, hey, we have this air conditioner. It's a little unit, stick the outdoor unit, you know, close by, mm -hmm. and the indoor unit hangs on your wall. You want me to put what on the wall? You know, it was just yeah, yeah, unheard of. That still exists. Yeah. Uh, not nearly oh, as yeah, yeah, much. I, I think uh, right around 2011 is when pretty much everybody understood mini. You know uh, that that it. No, 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 no. Don't well, because people are still saying, "What is it? Well, tell me about that." I mean, it's still new from to my, many people. From my purview, from my perspective, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I may not be as granular, you know, in the trenches as you. Yeah, so there's project uh, teams that is still new. I mean, that's... As far as contractors are concerned, they are, yeah. they pretty, everybody pretty much knows what a mini yeah. split. They may not want to deal with it, mm -hmm. you know. They're that, afraid there of you it. Go. That's where I wanted to take this. So yeah. it's 2017, by the way. Whenever you're listening to this, that's where we are. And in 2017, it's still considered somewhat new. And it's one of the most interesting, and, and I should just be straight and say irritating industry dynamics is in fact coming right now from the contractors right architects and builders are they're happy to have multiple indoor units and smaller duct runs because of that 
but we're really getting um i don't know it's it's, it's like the fact that we really want to aspire it, you know, we want to aspire to no ductboard and very limited flex duct and you know really really good quality mechanical designs at the front end and the the perspective we get is something like we're naive or unsophisticated and we're just too star-eyed you know for this utopian future you're getting pushback from from installers from yeah, installers yeah. Yeah, yeah well if you look from the perspective of the installer which i happen to have um, that's true yeah uh why is they it? are wearing a lot of hats you know when you say installer i'm thinking owner contractor mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. uh they have to be uh you know multiple bus businessmen and tradesmen and usually you're not you're either good at one and not good at the other it's rare to find somebody that's really good at both okay and so when you say hey we have this new fandangled thing that we want you to install and learn about it's going to be great and you have all this positive energy behind it <laughs> and they're just trying to get through the day yeah yeah you know they're they're stealing from paul to pay peter on jobs you know they got checks holding for 180 yeah, days that. you know so this is a this is that's a stressful thing to mm -hmm. make changes and when you just do what you do and you try to get in and out learning something new is very difficult. absolutely yeah and i've had uh, in contractors tell me straight up that you know if it's conventional equipment i can just tell that crew go that's all i have to say go do what you know and it, it is that it's sort of the the hands that do the work are are pacing the industry transformation that's pending and it happening so that's the in interesting thing is VRF is taking over the market. Whether it's VRF multi-splits or not is something we could we could argue. But uh, taking over the market right now in the U.S. Uh, according to AHRI statistics, uh, mm -hmm, yeah. Air Conditioning and Heating Refrigeration Institute, which is we looked for many standards and, right. and um, it's roughly around six percent of but the growing price. right it's the fact it's, it's growing 20 percent a year on average uh between like 2009 and 2012 it was like more like 35 percent. so it's cooling off a little bit hmm, interesting but there are a lot more players in the market too so they just go on i mean walk the ashtray trade sh yeah. show floor and there's 30 of them easy right so today we're talking about using vrf and we're thinking about both the design and the installation piece. So we're going to talk about the equipment up front, outdoor units, indoor units, and controls here. And then we're going to be talking about the design process, kind of going sequentially through it. So that's a lot to cover. So, so we're going to start with outdoor units. These are the units that in the summer, they're the, heat, the heat that gets absorbed inside your building is rejected outdoors through the outdoor unit. And in the winter it's the opposite the outdoor unit collects heat and it can collect heat down to single digits i think it's five seven degrees um yeah something like that d uh, minus some manufacturers have equipment that can go to minus 13 and have a hundred percent fahrenheit but still that's amazing fahrenheit yes thank you kaboom that's yeah. awesome okay yeah. so that's the outdoor unit it, it can collect heat from the air vibrational energy in the air even sure. at minus 13 that's astounding just a comment on heat pumps Please. uh this is not your father's heat pump uh this is a product that uh, typically a conventional 
system, a single speed or maybe a two speed compressor, mm -hmm. a heat pump starts to uh, lose capacity at around 55 degrees ambient. Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, some manufacturers, you can get 100% cooling capacity at zero degrees. Yeah. Uh, and you can get 100% heating at negative. 13. Right. There are manufacturers equipment that go that they're working on that can go to negative 40. Phew. You know? Yeah, so they're Very uh, VRF and uh and single zone mini split systems are in um Alaska, you know, Canada is a big market mm -hmm. to Kuala Lumpur, you know. And, so and just when you say it's not your father's heat pump, the production um, the indoor temperature, the delivered space temperature is also significantly higher. Yeah, I've been on projects um, in Oklahoma where it's 9 degrees and the uh, leaving air temperature out of the unit was 136. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get 120, 130 routinely up here, even when it's very close to satisfying yeah. space temperature. It's plenty warm. Yeah. Whereas I had a heat pump in the northeast in the late 80s early, early 90s my first home and uh it would make like 95 degree right. air you know when yeah. it would blow across my skin it was cold yeah <laughs> yeah if it's below if the air and below in, skin temperature yeah. yeah so maybe it was even the 80s all right so outdoor units there are several types and the big fork in the road is single phase three phase yeah which which is typically thought of as a residential commercial bias but it doesn't have to be uh no it doesn't have to be uh there are plenty of applications where you have three phase equipment in a residential community which generally has single phase mm -hmm. power and you accomplish that by adding a uh phase converter. yeah a digital uh third phase uh, the magic in vrf is basically it's a computer <laughs> you know, all, all the hardware is very well known. You have compressors, you have solenoids, you have mm -hmm. metering devices, mm -hmm. you have coils, you have sensors, right? These are all things that uh, are off the shelf. Basic laws of physics. You're right. yeah. The secret sauce is the software, and every manufacturer has its own secret sauce. The They perform... Um, uh, simulations and modeling for fluid dynamics, thermal dynamics. Some manufacturers more than others. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Please. I was a couple of summers ago, I was on a roof, a uh, 10 story building in downtown Dallas. It, the roof temperature was like 118, uh, ambient was like 98, so it was a big difference on the roof. and. Uh, the whole building is being... Uh, you mean the air temperature at the roof, not, uh, yeah. not the surface temperature. Well, the, right, so the street temperature was like 98, but the roof temperature was uh, like it. 118, so okay. it was very, very hot. And uh, the whole building, common areas, were being cooled by uh, uh, VRF systems. Uh, got a call from the on-site engineer saying, you know, a couple of the hallways are not keeping up it's like 74 75 uh what and, they and want them we at? uh 72 okay and uh you know we are a little bit uncomfortable talked to him on the phone couldn't solve it went down visited the job site and walked onto the roof and i saw a line of um 
outdoor units, right? They're called like a condenser farm. Mm-hmm. And as I was approaching the roof, I uh, the equipment, I walked past the equipment, and then I saw a bunch of goosenecks, mm. laundry vents, <laughs> and the laundry vent didn't have a bag over it, all of them, and so all the lint was oh collected gosh. on the coils. Yeah. All right, and if you have never seen a condenser coil before, you would think that that's the way it is because it was perfectly sheened on there right? <laughs> with lint yeah and uh it was about two inches thick and, and but get this you know this is the special uh part of Vera. it was 118 degrees on the roof it was only two to three degrees off mm -hmm. and it was wrapped in fur and it was wrapped in fur <laughs> that's the software telling the compressor hey you're running too hot you need to slow down to conserve heat, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't overheat. And the condenser fan motor or the outdoor unit fan motor was asked to accelerate. On a conventional system, what would happen is that it would shirt off, uh, shut off an internal overload. Like you would have zero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But with VRF, because of the uh, algorithms, the software, and the secret components, sauce. yeah, the secret sauce, uh, it survived that scenario beautiful so that's just that's yeah, all next i just, I just wanted to chime in and paint a picture for you guys that when <laughs> someone says condenser farm or condensers on the roof just to, in a hand wavy way what you think about is like a refrigerator lined around the you know that the outside on the the sides with something like um like a car radiator you know little fins and then in, in the middle and at the top of the refrigerator is a big fan so you're sucking air in through the sides or side and you're blowing her out the top. So we had these units that need to breathe and they were getting choked by lint. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. So that actually, let's start there. So that's one of the examples of the outdoor unit and that was a three phase. And there are uh, two main types of three phase outdoor units. There are the ones that are heat pump and the ones that are heat recovery. Could you talk about that? Sure. Difference? So uh, heat pump uh, provides both uh, heating and cooling using a refrigeration system. Uh, it's two pipes from the outdoor unit to the indoor units. It's one mode at a time. Mm -hmm. All the indoor units. All the indoor units. So if you have 12 indoor units connected to an outdoor unit and 11 of them are calling for cooling and the one wants to call for heat, mm -hmm. first mode wins. Mm -hmm. So if the, the, if the one is calling for heat, the right. other 11 will have to wait until that heat uh, uh, that uh, set point is satisfied, which is um, it's a temperature delta and mm -hmm, time, mm -hmm. uh, because you have to change over the refrigeration system. Understood. Yeah. yeah. But if let's say there more typically, I mean, there is some issues on on days with diurnal cycles that morning needs heat, afternoon, and then certain zones. It can be a challenge, and it's the controls challenge. We'll talk about controls. Well, there's 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 like five strategies for handling. Uh, heat pump mode. The first one is you have to communicate it to the users. That's very important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because everyone has a thermostat. Mm -hmm. And so in their mind, like, I want this. Mm -hmm. And they push the button for heat and it's already in cooling. Yeah. They, and it's just flashing and they, it's not working and they think there's a problem. So there, there's a lot of consternation absolutely a lot of and, and we've gotten issues up in it. it's, it's with problem. not having that initial get up and go mm -hmm. conversation but there are also control strategies some are 
more uh, uh, user-friendly than others. Um, for instance, one of them is it, you can put a, uh, an external temperature sensor on the outdoor unit and at uh, right. a certain temperature it will force um, to go into heat mode or cool mode. Mm -hmm. um, you can put a schedule, mm -hmm. um, which is quite popular. Uh, yeah, you, you can have a master thermostat. So if you have 12 indoor units, exactly, uh, you can select mm -hmm. one of the 12 to control the mode. Mm -hmm. Some manufacturers even have a two-button switch that has coolant and, mm -hmm. and heat, and you could just push it. So there, there's there's many strategies, but the first one is having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Like this is just one Managing mode of time. expectations yeah. and, but you know, so talking about it on the upside is that like if all. 12 indoor units or more on the it could be up to 50 yeah um and, and by the way let me interject for you guys that this this we were talking about three phase heat pump outdoor units much of what we just said in fact all of what we just said so far applies to single phase more residential based heat pump multi-split multi-zone units but what i wanted to point out is that you can have m multiple indoor zones and all but one of them could be off they could all be at different set points, granted that you're within the mode of cooling set points, right? One could be at 68, one could be at 78. So the second type of three-phase outdoor unit, which, by the way, does is starting to exist in single phase. There is one that just came out. Yeah, and, and it's sort of the clouds part and the angels sing, and now you have heat recovery <laughs> units. And this means that you can have multiple indoor zones and anybody can have heat and anybody can have cooling at the same time in a residential space yeah, yeah it is quite different yeah and but in a commercial too right yeah. so three phase well commercial that's where it starts. and these yeah. look fun uh, like in terms of the form factor and sure things like the weight and the size the technology is 35 40 years old um even for heat recovery even for heat recovery fascinating uh, well, I strike that. It's uh, heat recovery was actually um, in uh, the late mid '80s. Is, is developed. Oh, that's close to yeah. thirty years. It actually, yeah, it, it came in a dream into a, a, a Japanese engineer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, at least that's what the lore is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't there, but uh, the popularity of simultaneous heat and cooling is. Uh, instead of utilizing a chiller system and a boiler system, a double duct system where you have mm -hmm. always hot, always cool air or water, yeah. um, uh, use refrigerant. And you have an outdoor unit, that's a heat pump, okay? Then you have a box that's in between the outdoor unit and indoor units. They have different names. This box can be called a branch circuit controller. Uh, branch selector, mode change unit, heat recovery unit. <laughs> what they all do, though, is that they provide a method of bringing in a liquid or vapor refrigerant, depending on the mode, um, right. using the one outdoor unit. Uh, different manufacturers have different strategies for that. Yeah, I don't think we need to go into the branch box. It, it is fascinating. Yeah, it well, is, there's two pipes for the magic, and happens. there's three pipe systems. So the, it's they're really different. Mm -hmm. uh, even though uh, to the end user it doesn't matter, but to wonks like us, you know, there mm -hmm. is a, a striking. Is one generally more reliable than the other in your in your opinion? Okay, this is strictly my opinion. Okay, okay? strictly based his on, opinion, everyone. Based on attending 
seven manufacturer trainings, you know, multiple times. Yeah, and multiple job yeah. site visits. A uh, three-pipe system uh, has uh, low, medium, and high pressure mm -hmm. uh, refrigerant running through it. Mm -hmm. It is a heavily engineered refrigeration system, typically using hard pipe. So when I say hard pipe, it means that you have to braze many, many connections, mm -hmm. and that offers its own Challenge. challenges and, and costs. And, yeah, and costs mm -hmm. yeah. But when I say heavily engineered, you have to have a specified piping diameters oh, at yeah. certain locations. We've done right? it. It's With the two-pipe mm -hmm. product, you can use soft copper after the mode change unit. It's just one size. You size it to the indoor unit. Mm -hmm. So for an installer and first costs, you know, that... So two-pipe actually. Two-pipe, two yeah. Benefit. You're going to generally use more pipe in a two-pipe scenario. However, you don't pay. You order copper by the foot, but you don't pay for it by the foot. You actually pay for it by weight. So you may be using less copper on a three-pipe, but since you have to use hard copper, it weighs more. So the, actually, the copper costs are interesting and then there's the cost of all those braised fittings and and the liability right because mm -hmm. if it's one, uh, one goes wrong if it's not uh, properly tested for leaks uh, which is typically a 24-hour hold mm -hmm. with high pressure nitrogen it can down the road you can have some problems so there's so much to say about after units I'm gonna try to recap and then get us get us going so we we started out talking about three phase Heat pump, three-phase heat recovery. That's so. That was, that's what we've done so far. Those are also available with water-cooled systems, right? So instead of the system either getting or shedding, you know, sinking or sourcing its heat from the air, it can do the same thing from water. But let's leave it at that. <laughs> and uh, let's go into single-phase equipment, which you know more more traditionally more commonly thought of for residential and like commercial it's 60 percent in the market oh interesting yeah, so it's a 60 40. okay and typically. so i see t within that phase um, phase within that uh, product sector i split it into one to one um and one to many but there's so many names here could you just talk yeah. briefly about the names but sure so try not to get um down. some people call it duckless which mm -hmm. is like an overarching. So now you're talking about one to one is ductless or yeah, both? Yeah, one to one. One to one is called ductless. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So even if it has ducts, it's even if duct. it have ducts, yeah, and that's okay. that's the that's the way it is. Okay. Some people say inverter ductless. Some manufacturers have chosen to say duct-free splits, <laughs> ductless split system. In the South Pacific region, they call it split clima. Split clima. Yeah. Even if it has ducts, though. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, mini split, single zone, one to one. These come in heat pump and or just straight cooling. And then you have a multi-zone system, mm -hmm. one to many, uh, uh, typically a minimum of two. And well, by the way, excuse me, interrupt, John. When we're saying one to many, we're saying one outdoor unit, many indoor units. Just making sure we're very clear on that. Up to twelve indoor units, typically so, for single phase. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the, and the differentiators between a, a VRF system and a ductless system is electrically you know single phase versus three phase okay mm -hmm. uh but also where the metering device is mm -hmm, that's a big one yeah so in metering device is where the refrigerant is turned from a liquid to a vapor and begins to absorb heat correct uh, that's in cooling mode yes that's correct um 
the metering device in ductless systems is typically in the outdoor unit. If it's a multi-zone, it can be in the outdoor unit or it can be in a separate box mm -hmm. closer to the indoor unit. Mm -hmm. But the indoor units do not house the metering device. Mm -hmm. And also... On what type of unit did you say that's for? A multi-zone. Multi-zone. So uh, you can have perhaps up to five indoor units connected to an outdoor unit, but anything over five, visually and what the outdoor unit can house, mm -hmm. it can't really house that many metering devices, so they put it in a box. Mm -hmm. And, and the box, box could have three to five connections. Or eight. You would get a five port, and then you right. buy a three you're, port. So it'd be like it. two boxes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think we're getting deeper, deeper. Because trying to stay at the higher level on the outdoor units, because really the indoor units, John, was right. Let's talk about the indoor take units. Take our audience. But uh, let's wrap up that outdoor unit. So there's, because <laughs> I want to just say that I was talking to a manufacturer recently that used what, what John just talked about here is where the metering device is as being why you call it a mini split. So if the metering device is at the outdoor unit, and what you need to realize is that you, then your refrigerant line going inside in the summer, let's say, is cold all the way from the outdoor unit to the indoor unit, versus if the metering device is in the indoor unit, then he would call it a multi-split. Yeah. So it's interesting, mini split was metering device outdoors, mini multi-split was metering device indoors. But I'll buy it, that for but, a dollar. But, but yeah, but there seems to be no standardization and that keeps us consultants and engineers Con like yeah, us there in business, are, I guess. Yeah, uh, there are not a lot of conventions at this level of discussion. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh -huh. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, that, this is actually... So the fact that it's a bit of a tangled mess with nomenclature and that there's many options is what you guys should take away from that. And, and John and I really could have gone deeper into the various manufacturers' nuances and changes on that. But when the rubber meets the road, let's just talk about there's something outside. It's connected to something inside with refrigerant pipes. And it's really this palette of colors that opens up when we have these indoor units, that there's different form factors, there's different ways to deliver heating and cooling to the spaces. And I think that is one of the key takeaways you guys need to, or will benefit from on this episode, is using VRF means you have these different types of indoor units. And let's start with the one that makes the naming thing seem crazy. <laughs> there are some that are truly ductless, right? Yeah. So um, ductless, uh, just refers to the absence of, a duct. of of ductwork. Unless it's referring to the whole class of equipment called ductless, which has ducts. Yes. Couldn't resist. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize. It's but truly ductless means no ducts. <laughs> That's right. So there are a few different styles of indoor units. Uh, that are the, ductless. That are ductless. Mm -hmm. You have the high wall uh, version, which mm -hmm. sits generally anywhere from 8 to you know, 14 feet above finished floor. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are the ones that they, send they, people screaming from the room because they're so ugly, right? I I, I see only <laughs> the beauty in them, but yeah. yeah. They're, thermodynamically, they're, they're lovely machines. They can be aesthetically pleasing. There are yeah. manufacturers that have uh, different coverings, mm -hmm. colors. Mm -hmm. Picture frame model. Yeah, you know, that's a uh, uh, lot of variations available. There is uh, ceiling mounted units, mm -hmm. which uh, refer to as ceiling cassettes or four-way cassettes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is a concentric type vent. You have the return in the center mm -hmm. in a grid, then you have uh, four outlets on the perimeter. Mm -hmm. And there's, uh, within there, excuse me, it's, it's an important point here, there's a couple different sizes. Typically there's a two by two square, which 
um, everyone wants, except for when they realize, well, to service it, you need an adjacent access port because the two by twos are typically designed for grid suspended ceilings and it's going to be in a two by two suspended ceiling grid. So they're like, okay, look, you can just pop out an adjacent tile. So if you have a residential with a sheetrock ceiling or a commercial with a sheetrock mm -hmm. ceiling, you got to say, no, no, there's an access port nearby. But then there's the three by three or the 30 by 30. Sure. So it has access all through its own. The um, two by two version typically ranges from 9,000 to perhaps up to 18,000 BTUs. Mm, so that's three quarters of a ton to a ton and a half. And uh, the electronics are housed externally. Okay, the filter is accessed from within the space. Mm -hmm. It fits nice, nicely into a T-bar ceiling. Um, That's what they're called, T-bar ceilings. Yeah. And in a residential application, you would just uh, uh, make sure that the electrical box is accessed from the attic or, you know, from some type of access door or mm -hmm. something. Uh, on the three by three version, typically that's going to be from 18,000 to up to 48,000 BTUs. Mm -hmm. Ten and a half to four tons. The electronics are within the return air space. So everything is, uh, in including the refrigerant piping, mm -hmm. is accessible from within the space. Right. You just take a ladder up to the unit, pull your grill. Right. Mm -hmm. They have, um, they both have internal uh, condensate pumps and okay, safeties. Okay. Yeah. Okay, then and you have an under-the-ceiling version. Uh -huh. Yeah, please, keep going. Which right. um, you can mount flush to the wall. Mm -hmm. The return is directly underneath. So it mounts on the ceiling, but it's it's actually completely below the ceiling, whereas the other ceiling cassette, there was a grill on it's the ceiling, flush -mounted. but the business end was above the ceiling. Right. Uh -huh. So. And how tall are the business ends? I'm sorry, I'm going back a little bit. That's the, fine. The ones that are above the ceiling... You have the ceiling, you have your grill, and then you need, what, 10 inches, 12 inches, uh, 8 inches? It typically between 10 and 12 inches, yeah, something the smaller like ones that. Are a yeah, lower. it's not very much, uh, which, you know, one of the many benefits of VRF and ductless systems is the flexibility in its design. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you're designing an HVAC system, you can choose one style and another style for a different space and a ducted unit all on the same refrigeration system. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have, there are perhaps up to like eight different styles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so just one caveat here, I'm thinking about a project we did. We did one uh, project where the whole house, very modern looking house, had embedded ceiling cassettes in it and it's it's been fantastic. Yeah. But interestingly, they were considering doing like um, these faux beams on the ceiling, sort of these old okay. uh, craftsman-style beams, and we had to remind them that that was going to dramatically impede airflow because we're blowing sideways from the ceiling, mm -hmm. and they were going to box us in, you know, with these 12-inch beams. Yeah. What, so you got to be careful. One of the benefits mm -hmm. with uh, having an air conditioner that's basically a computer is that you can program the opening vanes. Uh, oh, to aim to, down, under to aim like down. That. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a, it's a very intelligent system mm -hmm. compared mm -hmm. to conventional. And in fact, there's usually four, you know, blowing off in cardinal directions. Let's say on the cassettes, on the cassettes, four directions, and you can abandon one of them and run a duct to an adjacent, let's say, bathroom or something like that. Yeah. Um, so a ductless system <laughs> well, you just does a not on. have <laughs> a external static pressure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Uh, meaning that it, you know, to add a duct, you have to 
abandon one of the veins, in this case on the four-way cassette, uh, and make sure that you put some type of insulation so it doesn't condensate right, right. there. And then run a duct. Uh, I, I would recommend um, maybe up to eight feet, and mm -hmm. it's going to be a four or five or six inch duct max. Mm -hmm. I understand. Um, you may need. It's for a small auxiliary space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's very useful sometimes. Someone puts it in their bedroom and they don't want a whole separate unit for their bath or their master. Closet. Yeah, this technology is all about opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. So that's the base mounted ceiling and then you were discussing that there's some that are on the outside of the ceiling yeah under the ceiling mm -hmm. version not those very have really long throws sometimes. very long uh, throws uh, like in um, up to 30 feet you know yeah. unobstructed mm -hmm. okay yeah there's a bar down on 6th Street in Austin I can't remember the name of it now but when you it's a long skinny space all one yeah. floor and it, when you walk in the front door it would knock your hat off you know if you had nice. your cowboy yeah. hat on and that's exactly what it's holding they're way back there hitting me in the head when I walk in yeah uh, that's yeah, exactly awesome. what I would design it in for mm -hmm. you know, it's a scenario like that or um, so there is another style that's, that's more commercial probably that or, is commercial yeah industrial yeah but uh, some manufacturers af uh, offer it in their single base mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I know it's it offered but in, like architects typically and you know homeowners like nah, I'm not gonna have that hanging off the bottom of the ceiling yeah. Then there's this what I call radiator style unit, which sure. are wall mounted units or floor, floor mounted style. units. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say wall mounted. Low wall. Low mounted. wall. Yeah. Yeah. So one Low manufacturer, Mitsubishi, has one of those. Um, uh, other manufacturers have. Yeah, that's those right. Too. Several of them. Have. Yeah. So low wall mounted, but then there's truly radiator style. They sit on the floor and they can be in the middle of a space. Yeah. Uh, I was on a. I did a project in um, uh, Culver City. Uh, on a uh, historical building which had radiators and I replaced took out all the radiators and put in uh, the pump. well indoor no put, put 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 in the indoor unit that fit in that space awesome. used the old iron grill oh neat right bought a, a, found an artisan to make a you bought an artisan no I'm sorry <laughs> strike that uh, I Found an artisan to make an iron grill that was somewhat match the original grill for the supply vent. Very cool. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it's you know what I don't get to be creative much in this industry, yeah, but when I do, it's like this. Yeah, it's my one of my favorite know? things. We work with a lot of architects and really trying to find that blend between elegant thermodynamics and elegant aesthetics. It's yeah. it's tremendous. But I want to make sure people are aware that. On these radiator style floor mounted, let's say floor mounted, that's the proper terminology. The filter is at the bottom. They suck in air through the bottom, so you have to provide access side. to the bottom. Oh, or the side. Yeah. Different manufacturers. Yeah, they blow from the top or the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, so there's you know different different. So styles. it depends on manufacturer. Depends on manufacturer and the style. The residential style is going to be the low wall with the return entering the side. Mm-hmm and blowing from the top or the bottom or both. Mm -hmm. The commercial versions, it's gonna enter, the air enters from the bottom mm -hmm. and exit either from the side, or it's convertible, or from the top. Okay. Right. So we've used the ones a couple of times now, or three times now, and it's really a clever uh, solution that people go, wow, that's what we're looking for. So you have a big living room, dining room, kitchen with um, one contiguous volume and 
there's, let's say, a bank of cabinets separating the kitchen from the dining room. So just built into the middle of the space. Yeah. And what we can do is in the middle of that bank of cabinets, we can have this floor-mounted floor unit yeah. that's pulling air in the bottom. And now we cheat a little. So instead of blowing directly out of the top, we go up like six more feet or four more sure. feet. And we blow out of the top of the cabinets. Sure. So suddenly in the middle of a space, I have refrigerant line, electric line, and condensate mm -hmm. line. And I have an air conditioner in the middle of the space. So the... Um External static pressure of those models is very weak. Mm -hmm, I know. Uh, There's no, in fact, so it's not if spec'd. you're going to put it inside, if you're going to recess it, because you have exposed versions, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which can uh, paintable cabinets, or right, uh, and then you have the recessed one, which you're referring to. You would want to put a duct system with uh, veins and yeah. you know yeah, everything you can to get everything the air out you can to reduce the yeah. Mm -hmm, and that's drop. what we've done. But I've seen these beautifully installed in old churches in New Orleans, uh, you know, churches everywhere. Um, uh, this BRF this is technology popular. is popular with churches because it's very quiet. One of the well, places. they they may have a thirty year old chiller in there, and the pastors get together in their conferences and stuff to talk about, you know, what's going on. Oh, I'm saving. 30, 40 percent electricity because of this technology. Of we want to hear that, right? There are, you know, uh, I don't mean to offend anybody, but the, it is somewhat of a business because they have costs. They have, you know, mm, oh, yeah. th things that they have to pay attention to. And when people the spiritual and the secular are connected, yeah. So yeah. Uh, VRF is is very popular with those um, historical buildings. You know, the the north eastern uh, corridor of the United States is the most popular area for. VRF because of the building styles. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. you think about basically European. Oh, and you're style right. More European influence. buildings, yeah. So, um, you know, they they do three, four times as much in sales as other parts of the country wow. for VRF because of there's there's no not a lot of um, free space. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, having these different indoor styles offers. Um, Architects, interior designers, and and uh, building owners to have a choice of you know the style that they're looking for, and then you have the ducted style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. So that that's the, the next, ducted two style. Two different main types of ducted style. You have three different. They're all ducted. Well, how do you say three different? I the, say compact ducted and conventional size ducted. Uh, okay, I'm talking mechanically. There are three different. Uh, external static pressure oh, models. Yes. Yeah, you have your three different static pressures. Your yes. low static, which is going to be your slim model. It's perhaps eight inches tall, mm -hmm. thirty by thirty, something like that. Pizza uh, box style, we yeah, call it. Yeah, I mean it could fit, you know, in the smallest of places. Uh, it's a fan coil, mm -hmm. so it can be uh, in hotel room. Mm -hmm. um, uh, right when you walk into the threshold of the room, you know, you put it right up there. You mm -hmm. can uh, but it's it's you don't want to add a lot of duct. You know, it's very low pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to put a MERV 16 air filter mm -hmm. in this. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah, no air will go out. So I want to I want to make sure I interject here on behalf of the people that are still going. What? So there's external static pressure. There's basically low, medium, and high static pressure. And you know the, the simple and relatively accurate way to translate that is if your unit can only handle a very low amount of static pressure. You just need to think barely any ducting, you know, and very little flow resistance with the filters. So medium static pressure, you can handle a medium amount, and then high static pressure, 
you can put a fully ducted house with a nice filter on that typically. You still need to have to do fluid dynamics and careful duct right. design. Well, the main thing is that you want to be engaging somebody who understands that. You don't necessarily need to understand yeah. you you know, you conversationally, yeah, you know, but you the uh, person that's more interested or the user is going to I want this style I want that style yep. you know the mechanical engineer or the contractor absolutely and so just that. to make a quick story in 2010 I was a builder here in Austin and I was advocating for these putting these mechanical systems into my own projects and I was getting contractor after contractor and I mean like four or five contractors saying no I won't do it and it was because they had these low 0.2 inches of water column or 0.12 inches of water column static and they didn't trust themselves to design ducts for it, right? And, you know, I trusted myself to design ducts. So I'm like, well, how about I design the duct? And they're like, well, you're the builder. And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take risk. And I signed a waiver and got a contractor to do it. And So it's interesting. The contractor community was like, no, just, just mm -hmm. no, I won't do it. I'm like, but I want you to do it and I'll pay you to do it. You know, No. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, the but whole get now. a three-quote process is r conducive for finding a price, kind of. You know, you sh should really have 12 prices, right? Oh, great. But uh, you want to select a contractor that is engaged in the HVAC community. You know, a great way to select a contractor is just to call your city building department and say, who do you like, hmm. right? Because they they know the guys that, you know, are confrontational or they know the guys that are professional, that are Johnny on the spot, as it mm -hmm. were, you know? So mm -hmm. that's a good filtering process. Another filtering process would be um, uh, contractor associations. Mm -hmm. Typically, if a contractor is gonna be paying, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars to belong to an association, you know, they want to engage the community mm -hmm. outside. You know, they're not isolated or in a silos. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Generally, generally speaking, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ask, um, well, you could ask us here, but you could ask builders and I think things like that. So yeah, we get a yeah. good perspective working through. All right, so good. That, that's an interesting little side point, how to find a contractor. So, the, But we were talking about ducted, and you went into compact ducted low, medium, and high static pressure, right? Because there's also standard form factor. And um, standard form factor, as we've talked about on the other episode, it's it's more what people are used to. It's this roughly two foot by two foot by four foot tall heat pump box, and it has a filter that goes on one end and air that comes in and goes out. This has been where we have found um, a lot of traction with contractors. You know, they get it. It's a box, refrigerant, it's condensate, familiar. electric, it's familiar. And what's really been beautiful or, or um, appreciated by us over the last few years is that the manufacturers are offering more and more different sizes and different product lines with more of this type of standard form factor option. That's been yes. a benefit. So what's uh, interesting to me, I don't know about everyone, but it's interesting to me that this particular, it's called air handler typically, mm -hmm. um, was uh, developed for the U.S. market. Like, it doesn't really exist outside the U.S. because we're a ducted nation. <laughs> ducted you know? nation yeah. sounds like a new reality <laughs> TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps it can't be. Um, you know, they have everything. For I reality. wonder how many HVAC geeks are out there. HVAC wars. <laughs> HVAC. Yeah. But uh, you know, if you have an existing conventional system, 
right? And you are uh, uh, doing some improvements in your house, or you're building a new house. Uh, yeah, there you go. You got that box. Yeah, it yeah, it box. fits exactly. You know, like for like. Uh, mm -hmm. But you're getting a very smart, you know, computer. A computer yeah. with lungs. A computer, yeah, mm -hmm. that has uh, some. Uh, excellent opportunities for energy saving mm -hmm. and super And so the computer quiet. is doing power management, refrigerant management, and airflow management all the time. Kind of, kind of like a new car would, right? Uh, probably not airflow management, uh, but... It does have fan speeds outdoors and in that it can change. Yeah, but um, the, duct the manufacturer doesn't know what kind of ducting you're is. Right, you're right, you're so, right. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely in the refrigerant... Uh, Basically, in a if you think about a refrigeration system, if the compressor is running and performing uh, well, mm -hmm. you know it's happy. Okay, the whole system's efficiently running. Yeah, okay? that, that's where the the sophistication is is on the outdoor unit. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, I mean I'm sorry, most of it is. It's sophisticated everywhere. That's where yeah. the brains are, and a lot of the thermodynamics is happening out there. That's right, and th that's where the logic lives. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's yeah, because if you remember, we talked about multi zones. It's basically one to ones. You know, the indoors don't know that it's multi zones. They just know. They I just know that space with that thermostat in the space. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, they're they're sensing the temperature and the demand in that space. Mm -hmm. But the outdoor unit needs to manage all that. And the outdoor unit ho houses the CPU, the logic. Mm -hmm. You know, the pump, the heart of the system. That's true. The, the refrigerant. Yeah, let's talk about refrigerant, and then let's get into controls. Um, refrigerant piping is actually another differentiator in terms of the single-phase, three-phase three split, right? With three-phase, you get much longer refrigerant piping. Oh, yeah. yeah. And with single-phase, you get Several shorter. Several thousand feet. So, there's a lot to say about refrigerant. Let's just keep refrigerant piping mainly to... A short discussion about lengths. Could you talk to us a little bit about how long we can go between the outdoor unit and the indoor unit? Sure. So, um, and this is generally, you know, uh, the outdoor unit connection uh, between, now we'll talk about heat pump. Mm -hmm. um, you can have a, a total of maybe 1,800 to 3,000 feet you know, depending on the manufacturer. Which, three-phase or single? Uh, good question. <laughs> I was talking about both. You know, I'm just trying to make it ah, concise, okay. you know. Because I know some of the single-phase can't go 1,800 feet. Not yeah, up close. to 1,000 on, on, on the single-phase. Uh, uh, or up products. to 500. I mean, it depends on which manufacturer, which size. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, basically, if you're looking from a design standpoint, it's just opportunities. You know, where do you want to put the outdoor unit? You want it to run it underground, way in the backyard, hidden away from everyone? Well, you can do you that. You can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there, is, you, there is a performance. If you have a hit, mechanical mm -hmm, but uh, a space, you know, this is where all the mechanical is going to be, right? I mean, I, I worked on a $25 million home in, in Bel Air that had uh, 50 tons of air conditioning you know wow. yeah and uh you know they had a mechanical room and everything so the uh, distances can ver be very helpful but mm -hmm. you're absolutely right the closer you are to the indoor unit and the outdoor unit the better you know you, you just because you can doesn't mean you should yeah you know so if you want an efficient system 
uh, and you and utilize what the inverter technology and all the wonders of the system you know try to bring the outdoor in as close to the indoor units as possible uh, otherwise you may have to upsize the outdoor unit you know which adds to the cost mm -hmm, exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you have different sections in the refrigerator system. You have uh, the outdoor unit to the first connection, mm -hmm. then the first connection to the other connections, yeah. and those all offer different Link. limitations yeah. and restrictions. And then vertical height. Depending, yeah, there's vertical separation. Yeah, I was trying to avoid making it complicated, but it, it gets complicated. There's no way around it. I think it's just me. I mean, it's, I'm, I just... Wired to see complexity. Yeah, it's well, terrible. Yeah. So generally full speaking, of trivia. I mean, as a designer, I, I tend, I'm lucky enough to attend design meetings probably two, three times a week, and single-family residential, that's typically what we do, um, custom homes, and there's almost never a case where I have to, to, you know, throw a flag on the play and say, cry foul, like, you can't put that unit there because of a refrigerant line restriction. Because of what people are used to with conventional equipment, they kind of plan for that and VRF can accommodate that. What they don't know is, well, actually, you could have moved it a lot farther away. As you just said, you could put it in the mm -hmm. backyard. And because it's an efficiency hit and because of the, the possibility of future maintenance issues or, you know, how do you deal with a buried refrigerant line? You, do you really want to trench your yard if you need to dig it mm -hmm. up? That kind of thing. So I usually don't say, you know, you could push it 50 feet farther away, 100 feet farther away if you wanted to. Yeah. Just I leave it at that. So typically it's not refrigerant line constraints are not driving the design or not constraining the design. It is something t that the designer should be oh, paying attention to. Um, yeah, we know that another differentiator between uh, the uh, mini-split ductless technology and VRF is the manufacturer's utilization of software. So uh, with VRF you can predict uh, it's BTU output based on line lengths and design conditions, mm -hmm. uh, which is key because mm -hmm. you, you, you're essentially selecting the equipment. Mm -hmm. I like to call it um, software that's an integrity check, right? Because if you do something that's prohibitive, right? Mm -hmm. Your design mm -hmm. has, you know, X amount of feet and locations of whether then you input that into the software, you'll get an error message mm -hmm. if it's outside of the mm -hmm. system's capabilities. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so and mini splits generally don't offer some manufacturers that. have that, but yeah, generally you have to go find through a Byzantine search process the right table in the right expanded performance it's not that data. Hard. No, I know. <laughs> but you know, it, you do have to know where to look and and derate your or equipment. Who to ask? Yeah, mm -hmm. or who to ask? There you go. Who to ask? You know, so you cannot have too many friends. In the HVAC industry, yeah, and that's probably VRF. you know mm -hmm. true in any business, yeah. but you know yeah. uh, that's a good point. Yeah. So who to ask? You know, it's popping into my head something I, I think it was germane to talking about the installer base, and it's qualitative, but it's it's almost as though there's personality types or or there's an input of where a given installer feels that they are within their their career. You know, if they're gradually sliding into the sunset or if they're like young and hungry getting into it because that that's what we kind of have is a lot of the resistance to vrf seems to be like look i don't really want to deal with all this um new stuff and you know program my 
machine with my laptop and ay ay ay. Well, everything. But it's just a mindset. It's like a worldview almost. Yes, it's psychological. Psychological. That's you the know, uh, family of origin. When, it, when you're a consumer, <laughs> you know, you buy things in your mind before you physically buy it. You know, mm-hmm. when you make a change, you have to accept the change in your mind before. So if you go so to somebody installer. that with a new mm-hmm. idea, and you don't deliver it in such a way that is easy, you know, soft sell and let them think about it, mm-hmm. and then encourage them give them time to if it's just hey i got this job it's this technology you've never done it before can you bid it and it's like i'm scared i'm not i don't want to get involved with that because i'll i feel like i'm gonna screw it up or i'll lose money is really what they're you know risk money yeah yeah i mean i have but i took the dive you know i mean uh in 2000 um what do you mean took a dive well, I was uh, my career was ninety percent airside, you know, conventional systems, and maybe five to ten percent ductless uh, for most of my career. Uh, the first mini split I installed was nineteen ninety five, but as soon as I looked into ductless and st- started to see the potential, I switched my business model. Awesome. I sold a bunch of cars got rid of a bunch of employees sold you know uh, different assets and just consolidated i became a nice efficient mechanical contractor that specialized in ductless and vrf and you know my world changed for the better awesome you know my return call ratio basically just disappeared my employees you mean by, more by complaints or service yeah so um, there's you know if you if you install 100 systems you may get uh, conventional systems you may get 10% return calls and that's money lost that's you're mm-hmm. not generating revenue but mm-hmm. with uh, uh, this technology if it's installed correctly and you follow the steps you know you don't improvise you just follow the steps it doesn't break you know, mm-hmm. and, and it warns you when it does, and it, yeah, yeah, I can, it can send you a text phone. message. You know? Yeah, uh, my installer's morale increased. You know, because the complexity of a conventional system uh, it's much higher than the complexity of a of a multi-zone and mini-split system. In let's say that you have a, a three-bedroom house. You just said VRF is. Less complex. I'm talking about the whole system. Tell me, the whole inducted system. Go into yeah. this. This is good. So I did a an evaluation, right, where you have a cut-in, which generally means you have a house. Let's say it's 1,200 square feet. It has a, a floor furnace, right, mm-hmm. and you're cutting into the ceilings to put in an air conditioning system, both heating and cooling. All right, so it's called a cut-in, and to finish that job, it's about 500 steps. Okay, to do that same job with ductless, it's about seventy-five. And do you steps. mean actually ductless or just smaller ducted systems? Well, no. Wall, you're wall, wall, wall hung units, units yeah. Because so truly ductless. Yeah. Ductless, ductless. That's ductless. what we should call it. Ductless, ductless. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the the system, the conventional system components are a lot more than a ductless system. So you have on a ductless system, you have less time on the job, mm-hmm, which people mm-hmm. love. Yeah, uh, cutting you know, smaller holes. Yeah, you, you have no hot work 
essentially mm -hmm. because there's no brazing. It's all flare fittings. Mm -hmm. You got electric refrigerant line condensate. That's it. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, so last topic is going to be controls. And oh boy, mm -hmm. how can we do a succinct summary of controls, John? Is it, I don't know. If is it possible? It is. I'll do my best. Okay, go. Let's say five to ten minutes. I challenge you. Ask me questions. I think that's okay. The good, and I'll keep the answer. So, short. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, actually, I, that's a really great way to do it. So, the typical scenario for controls is we do um, positive energy does uh, an owner intake meeting, and we get to know the owner. We get to know their personality, and we ask them, "How do you want to interact with your mechanical system?" And many of the younger people that say, I, actually, I'm not going to pick an age. I don't want to date somebody because it just depends on how you embrace technology generally. You That's can very true. You can control these systems off of an internet-connected device, generally speaking, across the industry now. And that's changed somewhat rapidly over the last few years. So that let's start talking about that. Like um, When you're controlling from an internet-connected device, you can still have, I'm trying to think of a question, I apologize, I'll get to it. You can still have a wall unit, you can still have a unit on your wall that's Wi-Fi linked. And it, it gets complicated because the unit, the, the air handler, it can sense temperature at that wall where the controller is. Or it can sense temperature at its own return. And sometimes people don't realize, well, I've got this... Um, Wi-Fi linked wall unit that actually I can take off the wall and put on my copy table or on my mantle or on my night table next to my bed. Or have it on your phone. Exactly. Or have it on my phone. But we'll find, you know, maybe a, a comfort complaint because the unit is running and getting too cold. And we go and we're like, oh no, what's going on? And we find out that they have, it's just a control setting, but they, the control setting has been set such that it's measuring space temperature at the, this wall controller instead of the phone, right? Is that the wall controller? And that wall controller was in the laundry room next to the dryer. Yeah. And it does, you know, it's, no, it's supposed to be in the living room where, you know, where sure. you, people are, so then it's hot. And yeah. So, um, the installer or the, um, um, uh, construction manager, uh, should have a conversation with the occupants and show them how to operate you know having that conversation showing engaging the buyer of the equipment you know that's been you know more yeah. money on this technology than a conventional system they deserve that extra time to the thing about wireless controllers is that if you put like you said if you put it in the wrong space well then it's going to be sensing that mm -hmm. hotter area mm -hmm. away from the return or what have you yeah. you know it's not getting that mean temperature mm -hmm. And if you don't set it up properly, maybe you're sensing from the indoor unit and you don't want to. Right. And if right? you do sense from the indoor unit and it's on a 14 or 12 foot ceiling, it's yeah. going to be hotter up there than it is down here. Yeah. So you want to set a temperature delta, which can be set on the remote to tell it, look, shut off when it's six degrees above sure. set point. To circle back around, though, generally yeah, controls. controls, there are uh, three levels. You Good. have your you, you local local level, mm -hmm. right? Your zone control, which can be handheld wireless. It could be a wall mounted, either wired or wall uh, wireless, or you can have um, Wi-Fi, you know, off your phone or, or what have you. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Okay, so that's zone control. And typically a wired 
uh, wall mounted can can control up to 16 indoor units mm -hmm. and that's throughout the ductless industry that seems to be mm -hmm. a, a, a pattern um, so you can have one wall mounted controlling multiple systems uh, if if uh, the unit is on the wall or in the ceiling you're gonna get a handheld wireless remote that comes with mm -hmm. the unit like a TV remote like a TV remote mm -hmm. right basically if you have a Wi-Fi uh, you can c control all this all the units or a single zone off of your phone or, mm -hmm. or a mobile device yeah computer iPad yeah. iPad yeah mm -hmm. then when you w move into a level two that's your your central, central controllers, mm -hmm. right? Where groups all those units for all the indoor units or zones. Mm -hmm. You can have maybe up to 500 zones, right? On a centralized system. Yeah, yeah. And generally speaking, this is a, a commercial paradigm where you, sure. or, or, or a very big residential project that it, it really wouldn't warrant, let's say, uh, my house, you know, yeah. one zone, sure. <laughs> one air handler. There's no point in having a central controller. Um,. No, unless I wanted to do crazy shenanigans, and they're not cheap. I mean, they're fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred or more for a yeah. central controller. Yeah, well, and that's just for the controller. There's also the wiring loop that you have to yeah put in. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have level three, which is uh, integration with so home automation systems. Or yeah, building so that's a, that, and and uh, with some manufacturers, you need to have a central controller. Right, to, to get into Crestron. Or, yes, uh, exactly. Mm -hmm. Backnet or Lawnworks, mm -hmm. which can also control your lights, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. your landscape, fire safety. You know, it all could be in either controlled by the VRF equipment. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, VR, or VRF could be your controller third, for everything. Third-party integration, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, the... Controls is quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand it. Yeah, and, and it also is very dynamic right now. Yeah, the number of controls and the. And I'm I'm not a com computer guru, but I do enjoy electronics, and so the controls aspects of it, it's 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 nearly endless, and it's that's the future of the uh, where VRF is going, is um, being able to do more. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. you you buy manufacturer X. And it can do what Crestron is doing here, audio and visual yeah, and all safety and, and everything. So yeah. it's uh, good. Yeah, it's interesting and tangential. We are very fortunate here at our office, right? We have a VRF forced air system. We have a radiant ceiling panel system. We have a dedicated ventilating dehumidifier and we have an ERV. And we're thinking about working with this um, professor at UT. Actually, I could say Zoltan Negi. He was on... We interviewed him a while ago um, to do to take a person and to put biometric sensors on him and to use this combination of radiant, forced mm -hmm. air, ventilation to make this person healthy. And it's a very complicated control system. So you could really see the future of building controls yes. where it's like, oh, wait a minute, let's not worry about the condition of the air per se. Let's worry about the condition of the occupant. Yes. Base my controls on that. You get into self-learning algorithms and all kinds of wild stuff. It's, yeah. It's yeah, I just, I just love, love that. I mean, you know, the next fifty to hundred years are just going to yeah, be so amazing. I, you guys both, uh, you guys can't see here on the, but both Miguel and John have, um, I guess, their eye watches or something. Fitbit. Fitbit. I got an Apple Watch. And you have an Apple Watch, John, mm -hmm. Miguel. So, 
Right, those are communicating with the outside world, yeah. and why it's not have heartbeat. a thermal sensor, you know, yeah. on the back, and that's saying, yeah. I don't have to wonder if John's hot. I can measure if yeah. John's hot. <laughs> with the, the advent of understanding what materials can do, you know, your clothes will definitely be able to do all that, you know, and that's where this gentleman like I think is is nanotechnology. Yeah. that's yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so that that's a good. Yeah, it's it's third-party controller integration is probably a good uh, place to wrap up the controls discussion. So we covered a lot in this episode. Uh, we covered outdoor units, indoor units, a uh, host of topics built in. Any final thoughts before we end part one here? I really appreciate what positive energy <laughs> is doing, what it represents. Um, this is uh, sorely needed within our, our industry. Oh, thank you. And... Uh, you know, I'm a big uh, proponent and advocate. And All right, well, I'm best not going to argue with you. that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you guys for listening. We'll we'll be uh, back at you next time. <laughs>